You're listening to The Next Course, a podcast for foodies where you hear from cooks, chefs, and restaurant owners. On the show, we delve into all aspects of food culture, discussing recipes, cooking techniques, nutrition, food trends, and more. So, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Harry Hills, and I hope you're ready for The Next Course. You would have seen my next guest on MasterChef Season 10 and current Back to Win season. Uh, she's a cook, uh, former restaurant owner, and in my opinion, a bit of a fashion icon. Uh, Sarah Claire, welcome to the show. <laughs> Hi, Harry. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, no problem. Um, I'm very interested to chat to you today. There's a few things about your cooking that really interest me. Um, at the moment, you're, you're based in Tasmania, that's correct? I am, yeah, um, living down in Franklin in Tassie, down in the Huon Valley. Yeah, um, so I wanted, I wanted to kind of start a little bit on there because you've sort of, you've been doing pop-ups and that sort of thing um, that really push for sort of like seasonal produce and local produce and that sort of thing. Is that, is that something that's always been a passion for you? Um, look, it's something that has been but I didn't realise since I was a kid, we've always grown vegetables and eaten from our eaten from our garden. And um, I really missed that when I was living in Sydney and I was surrounded by big supermarkets. And I really missed the excitement of of kind of knowing that something was about to come into season. Mm-hmm. So in supermarkets, you kind of you you get produce all year round, and it's not necessarily a good thing. A lot of the time, a lot of that produce is being kept in really cold storage. You're getting last season's apples. You're getting, you know, all these fruit and vegetables um, shipped around the country, and it's a big country, and it's a lot of that's a lot of miles that your food is doing. And sometimes it's okay to not be able to have an avocado every day. You know, sometimes it's okay. <laughs> it, it actually gets more exciting. Like I've I've never been quite as excited about a cabbage as when I grew one in my garden for the first <laughs> when, time. When you grow it yourself. Like, right. And and that's that's what's really cool. Like it actually makes you appreciate food more because you appreciate how much time and energy goes into growing food um, and how much, you know, and that's, that's why I kind of love working with local producers as well because when you talk to somebody about their mushrooms that they grow themselves, they light up. There's so much passion there and so much love there. And the reason they are a mushroom farmer is because they love mushrooms. They love all types of mushrooms and you can learn so much from speaking to them. And and I have, like living down in, in the Huon Valley, I have learned so much about so many different types of vegetables. I I once had a friend say to me, my goodness, you look at potatoes the way I look at men. And that's just so true. Like, I love a good potato. Like, and Tassie is known for amazing potatoes. I've had, I've had friends that have visited from Sydney saying, um, excuse me, what are pink eyes and should I be buying them from the side of the road? <laughs> go, yes, they're potatoes and they're amazing. Oh my god. Um, so so in, in 2018, you had a, a pop-up called Wild, correct? Yes, um, yeah. And, and to me, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sort of seemed to have this, like, modern Australian flair to it. Yeah. Yeah, um, we did um, a lot of it – it was a degustation and we used, um, we used a combination of native ingredients and pests. So we – as silly as it sounds, and a lot of people go, surely not, but there's a lot of wallabies <laughs> Down in a lot. Um, they're also designed to be here, so you're not clearing land to farm wallabies. You're not. It's they're not corroding the earth. It's not 
um, they're not adding to our pollution problem. So when you eat something that's not only delicious and good for you because it's a very lean meat, but it kind of um, it's a, it's like you're doing your part. If you can cut down on on the red meat you eat and eat more kind of local native ingredients. We also used um, boarfish. Mm. So boarfish, uh, lion caught, and it's a, an introduced species into Tasmania. So it's good to get it out of the waterway. Same with wakami. So we used wakami. Wakami is um, an invasive species down here. It was brought in by ships from Japan and it's bad for, for the native um, seaweed population. So it kind of, it, it takes over areas and it's delicious. So it's kind of, you know, not only eating food that's local, but eating food that by taking it out of your yeah. environment. That's such an interesting, thing. interesting like way to look at like an environmental side of it. I've never heard anyone actually talk about sort of like, like weeding, like getting rid of like undesirable yeah. species and eating it at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's kind of, um, there's, there's a lot of that movement down in Tassie. We do have a lot of invasive species. I love sea urchin. Um, hmm. The native sea urchins are a little bit more delicious than the invasive species, but knowing that I'm doing something good by eating something I love, that's also like, you know, that's a win-win situation. Um, the long-spine sea urchins are an invasive species down here. They've been moving down to Tassie since uh, 1983, I think. And they, um, they're terrible for our environment. So catch them, take them out of the water, eat them. They're so yummy. Yeah, that's that's so interesting. That like, yeah, this is the first time that I've really had someone talk about that. Um, so so since two thousand eighteen, you've sort of had some other influences as well with your cooking. I sort of like, there's actually like quite a lot of influences that I've sort of noticed. Um, as as someone sort of like planning a menu, building a menu, how do you look to sort of like achieve balance between? you know, trying to get, like, local produce, doing sort of, like, modern Australian thing at the same time as having, like, European or, or Southern American influences, stuff like that? Well, I feel like when we say um, modern Australian, modern Australian, the cool thing about it is it's it's not one style of cooking in the sense of it may be modern Australian with French um, influence. And that just, it doesn't mm -hmm. mean that you're, you know, it doesn't mean, mean you're making creme brulee. What it means is that you're using French technique. Um, mm -hmm. I love modern Australian with Japanese influence as well. I love using lots of misos and things to just to um, put um, umami into dishes. But it doesn't mean that my dish tastes Japanese. It still has mm -hmm. that kind of very modern Australian flavour. And so it's the same thing I I've, find inspiration from all food that I try. I love, um, I love Indigenous food. I find it really, really amazingly interesting and it's a completely different way from cooking if you have been um, classically French trained. It's really, it's so much more from the earth and raw and I, I love um, looking at that. I'm really careful about where I get all my native ingredients from. I make sure that they're from, that they're putting money back into Indigenous communities as well. Mm -hmm. um, I love, so obviously a lot of my, a lot of influence in my food is South American cooking. Um, that's again, just, it's not, it doesn't mean I'm necessarily, although I do have some South American dishes that I'll put on a menu, I always try and make them my own. And also it's more again of a technique rather than a flavor and a style. 
Mm-hmm. So that's sort of where the balance comes in. It's more about the techniques and, and sort of having the best of both worlds. What I find it's more about with, with my food is it's actually quite expensive to buy um, really good produce and local produce and you're not and not using anything frozen and everything made from scratch. So whatever mm-hmm. style I, I cook in, whatever dish I do, I make sure that the most prominent thing is to not mess around with the food too much in the sense of if you're using a really good vegetable let that vegetable taste like the vegetable it doesn't need to be drowned in sauce it doesn't need to be cooked you know to within an inch of its life let it let it sing because that's you know that's what excites me really good food and that is very very much Tasmanian style like that's what I love about the restaurants down here you go down here and you'll get food that is just like look at this amazing produce and look at how little we've done to it and yeah. it'll be the best thing. I remember I remember actually I went to there's a little wine bar down here called Lucinda. And um I was with a friend, they're like, Oh, can I just order some things? Because they go there all the time. And I was like, Oh yeah, sure, no worries, which is a big deal for me because I'm, I'm a Labrador <laughs> and I'm very food orientated. Um so he ordered the um it was cantaloupe with local hamon and I was just like I was, I was cringing I was like oh good god that's it seems so 60s and dated and I don't love cantaloupe to be honest I find it too sweet <laughs> and it's just like that sickly honey and I was just like oh and local hamon like my goodness I mean leave you know leave hamon in Spain I was kind of very <laughs> like and it was literally one of the best things I have ever eaten I could not believe it I was just so shocked I was just like they'd taken something that was a really kind of naff 60s you know like cantaloupe and and ham or cantaloupe and bacon or cantaloupe and you know um prosciutto and they'd made it this beautiful modern and the the you know uh, inverted commas hamon was just phenomenal because it they were using they were using Wessex saddlebacks, a local um, free range pig that had been fed acorns for a year the way they do with the Spanish black pigs, and then they'd made a hamon style. They weren't, I think they were calling it like faux hamon, or but they'd they'd done you know it was back leg, it was cured beautifully, yeah. and it was so delicate, and the fat was amazing, and then to have it with this Tasmanian grown cantaloupe, and the cool thing about Tassie and growing fruit is that because it's cold it and and actually despite you know the fact that we're completely flooded at the moment there's not usually a lot of rain when we're growing our fruit it's a very dry season in Tassie Tassie's the second driest state in Australia actually and because of that the fruit ripens really slowly so this this cantaloupe tasted like no cantaloupe I'd ever had because it was just the flavor had developed so amazingly it wasn't just this kind of you know juicy sweet fruit it had like complexity to it and that's that's what I love and they had just left it as it was they hadn't messed around with it it was a slice of cantaloupe and some hummus on the plate and it was yeah and that really sort of harks back to what you were talking about about like respecting the ingredients and like the effort that actually goes into like an individual ingredient yeah and I and look I miss things I really miss things um but when I find them it's kind of more exciting than just going to a supermarket and getting a pineapple there's a there's an old guy in Hobart who's growing pineapples in a polytunnel and Mm. I just like I lost my mind because I love pineapple but (laughs) it's got a lot of miles when you get it all the way down to Tassie I like how excited you get about these things (laughs) yeah I'm 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 a big um nerd when it comes when it comes to fruit (laughs) and veg 
<laughs> I love it. It's like it's good having that sort of energy. Um, what what you were talking about about not sort of overdoing it really sort of leads quite well into my next question because um I really wanted to talk about your plating style actually because I think it's very very appealing in a sense that it sort of looks achievable and and please don't take that as an insult. I actually think no, it's, I love it. it's it's really quite deceiving the way that you actually present it um like from what i've seen like it's quite clean it's quite fresh and it really doesn't overwhelm the senses i think it's it's just people get the real down the line sort of view of what they're getting and and i really like that yeah it's i, I don't know about my my plating i love art i absolutely love art i am in the sense of fine art i have no natural ability my whole family are artists <laughs> they are they are potters and painters and like my my mum's an abstract artist and my dad's a potter and i've been going to art galleries since i was a child but i don't i don't like overconstructed it's not my style i don't love like you know when i see people um cutting out nasturtium leaves into little circles for fine dining i just think do you know what's more beautiful? The actual shape of a nasturtium leaf. Like that's nature's perfection right there. You don't need to mess with it. Like that is that is exactly what I want on my plate. I want everything to kind of look like it should. I don't want to, I don't want to puree it and turn it into a twill. And, you know, I kind of <laughs> would. would Much just, more natural. Yeah, I'd much prefer to just see, see kind of and and work with, you know, the produce again it's kind of yeah how I like to play do you have any tips for people that are sort of like plating at home uh to sort of like go with that style because yeah, I agree um no dots like dots on plates I hate them so much <laughs> <laughs> like you know like different like dots of things I think I'll oh, just leave it alone stop you know if you have a beautiful puree just put a little spoonful of that puree on the plate you don't need to smear it you don't need to you know throw it at the plate so it's a splatter you just place it on the plate place it and I think the thing one of the main things that I and it's it's something we're told all the time something that cooks are told and chefs are told um plate as you would eat it mm-hmm. so if you want somebody to have a little bit of everything in your in the mouth you know you kind of should make it as though with each spoonful you can get that and it doesn't have to be I just think you can take it too far with plating there's a lot of you know like dusting plates and I there's I find that there's nothing worse than something smeared on the bottom of a plate because when you take a puree and you thin it out like that and especially if it's sitting under heat lights in a restaurant about to go out it cakes to the plate. It gets that skin on top of it. Like it, it dries out so quickly because you've turned it into a thin line and you've put it on a hot plate and then you're putting that plate under under heat lamps before it's going to the table. And then maybe your customers take photos of it for 10 minutes. <laughs> you know, you're not getting an enjoyable eating experience. Yeah. So for me, it's less about like um, it's more abstract than – than you know Picasso I suppose you could say so you're sort of saying like like think about how they're going to eat it how you want them to eat it and work backwards from that and on top of that really kind of thinking about like possible delays in in kitchen to to eating yeah and that's different when you're cooking at home but I think you'll still find that especially if you have children (laughs) by the time (laughs) you put it on the plate the time it goes onto the table 
it's not immediate and you're not eating it immediately and everyone sits around talking and or maybe you're pouring drinks or maybe you're so it isn't it isn't that immediate thing but it's also um I think that with certain food um the way you played it really does make a difference and some food some food it's okay to be ugly you don't need to try and make it into a tower you don't need to try and put you know, I'm not a huge fan of people, you know, putting rice into into a mould and putting <laughs> mould onto the plate. And I just go, rice looks, you know, some food, some food can just be a stew. You don't have to make it sexy. The mm-hmm. best thing about food like that is that it just kind of, it's delicious and it's really hearty. And so fine dining and, and modern Australian, yeah, it's kind of really designed, but you don't have to make you know, you don't have to stack your vegetables in a, in a Jenga stack and, you know, put a lettuce leaf on top. I find that some food, the best thing to do is to kind of just let it fall naturally onto the plate. Honest cooking. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It's hard. Um, it's actually really hard to do that. It's hard to leave it alone. For me, especially in MasterChef, I have many mistakes where I kind of overdid it and I like took the plate up and they were like, this is delicious. And I was like, you can see by my face, I'm so not happy with it. And it wasn't the food and the taste. I just put it up there and went, what have I done to that poor food? You know, I've (laughs) over-designed it. Yeah, I think that's something that comes up in cooking quite a lot. I mean, you you just sort of need to have that patience or be able to like step back a bit. People sort of over-staring what they're cooking or or, like over-flipping or or really just putting too much into it yeah yeah interesting um so i i can't do this interview without mentioning an infamous incident with gordon ramsay uh (laughs) i think you know what i'm talking about with with the cooking wine and the cup measure um can you can you explain for our listeners what it was kind of like being in that moment it's funny because um i i do stuff like that all the time and they have never on my season of of MasterChef, they never showed it. So they never showed all the singing and all the like stupid stuff that we do. <laughs> we do a lot of that because, you know, it's a very, it was a very um, serious cooking show. It is a really serious cooking show. Yeah, it's and, a clear cut in the competition sort of side of it. Yeah. And I actually really love the new kind of direction they went this year and they showed, you know, the fun side of the new judges and, and of us as well and all the stupid stuff we do. But my actual immediate reaction when I saw it on TV, so w- when I did it, it was just like, a, oh, God, that was stressful. <laughs> um, and, and the thing is, there's no glassware in the MasterChef kitchen. There's none. So yeah. I had a cup and I was, do you know what my, my brain went? I went, I'll be classy. I won't drink from the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> and so I poured the measuring cup and I drank it. And then when they showed it on TV, I was like, oh, my God, what else are they going to show? I remember, like, I think Chris and I cheesed out of little bowls once. We had beer out of bowls. I don't know because there was so there's so many moments like that. And I thought, oh, my gosh, am I going to come across as an alcoholic? These these are the moments we want. It, like, gives people, like, depth of character because usually – the only real side to that we can get is through the cooking, but it's like people people are more than just the food that they put up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and and we're we're definitely all very big um, personalities. I remember my first day on my season of MasterChef when I was meeting everyone, and it's just this like 
I don't know if you if you have a, an obsession with something or I, I like to call, call it a hyper focus. So my hyper focus is food. And usually when I speak to my friends about it, they're like, yes, yes, we get it. You like food. <laughs> Good on you. And then you meet all these people and they're so interesting and they also love food as much as you do. And you can just, it's why it's, why it's a show when, you know, the first time you watch it, you go, why is everybody crying when they leave? Like surely they've <laughs> only known each other for a month or two. But it's such an intense environment and you've finally met this group of people who just get you. So you just bond super fast and we are all a really big bunch of weirdos. And I kind of love that as well because I'm like, oh, my people. Yeah, no, I, I obviously haven't been in the MasterChef kitchen, but I, I really understand that idea. It's just such an intense sort of process going through things like this. And it's it's really hard to actually articulate to people the feelings that, that grow in like such a short period. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a lot of the fun. So they did show, they did show a lot of the singing and the, and the, you know, I love the, um, Reese and Brendan and how much they show, how much they show with those guys teasing each other because they really are hilarious. Yeah. And, and that was, it was really good to see it all come across on TV as well. Like I really liked the fact that they were a little bit more daring this season and they went, you know what, we're going to show, we're going to show all of it. Yeah. I, I love yeah. seeing the personalities. Um, yeah. I, I really do like that, that people actually have depth to it. Um, back, back on onto wines, would you say you're actually quite knowledgeable about wines at all? Yeah, I was actually a sommelier um, for about six years. Oh, wow. So okay. I, I know wine. I love wine. Um, I find that it, it plays an integral p- part in the way we dine as well. If you're a wine drinker and wine and food matching and understanding wine is understanding food as well because when you're tasting wines that all the tasting notes are are food you know they're food orientated they're cinnamon and stone fruit and so understanding a wine helps you pair it when you when you're doing it um in a degustation which i think is important yeah would you you mind giving would you mind giving us uh, any sort of like advice on wine pairings and that sort of thing do you know what i i think i i would love to say to all australians two things um, one is being like really um, stretch yourself, like try and get outside of your box, go to, go and talk to someone. Like if you're, if you go to, a, uh, you know, a, um, a bottle shop, go and say to someone, I want something interesting. This is what I normally drink. I don't want that style. I want something different because what you'll find, especially working, I'm, I managed a bar for, you know, close to, 10 almost 15 years um is that people will come in and there's wine trends so everyone's drinking chardonnay then everyone's drinking savion blanc and then everyone's drinking pinot noir and and it's kind of it's great you you find a variety that you like and you stick to it but there are so many varieties out there like one of my favorite wines is called grunewaldliner it's an austrian wine it's a white it's quite minerally it's it's a really beautiful wine. Um, they're also making it down in Tassie now, which is really cool because I like um, getting local wines oh, and supporting fantastic. local producers. Um, but I find that if people saw it on a menu, it's more, I don't know what that is. That scares me. I don't want to try it. Be, be, you know, outrageous. Like try something that's got a weird name. You might not like it, but you might find something beautiful. And 
cool. And also, um, we drink our we drink our whites really cold and our reds too warm. So if you're if you're if it's a warm day, chuck your red wine in the fridge for like half an hour, um, and then get it out and drink it. It just take it just take the temperature down a little bit. And the same with whites. Let your whites sit out. Not obviously in the middle of summer. We want to drink our whites really cold. But if it's not stinking hot, you know, take your wine out of the fridge, let it sit for a little bit because you get a lot more flavour out of it that way. Interesting. See, these are things that I don't even know. I'm, I'm never going to claim to be a, a wine expert. It's fun playing around. And my thing as well is, um, especially now, because Tassie's freezing at the moment. We had a we had minus three degrees the other night. That was, we woke up, everything was frozen. Um and it's been raining for a good couple of days. If I have any leftover wine, instead of, you know, using it for cooking or throwing it out, I just chuck some spices in it, a bit of brown sugar and, and some orange peel and make up some mulled wine. And it's Ooh, really yes. nice to have mulled by the fire. Mulled wine season. Yeah, glue vine. Woo. Oh, I'm completely, um, now I'm excited. I completely <laughs> forgot about mulled wine season. Everyone always forgets about mulled wine. And do you know what I find with mulled wine? It's one of those wines that, it's one of those things that, if whether you like wine or not, and whether you drink red or white or not, most people love mulled wine in, in winter. And mulled well, cider as well. Because down in yeah, Tassie, it's all the spices. we go cider crazy. We have cider houses absolutely everywhere in Tassie. Really amazing cider as well. All different varieties. And I love using cider to do mulled ciders because cider just goes so well mulled when you when you do the same thing you put it with spices and maybe a bit of spiced rum or I did um I made a I made a mulled wine the other night with a little bit of um, Mr Black espresso liqueur in it and it was incredible do you have like a recipe at all you could shout us quickly I yeah do you know (laughs) no I don't because (laughs) I do it to taste so whatever wine I have that's kind of on the brink, I chuck that into the pot. I use cinnamon, uh, star anise, clove. I stud the cloves into orange peel. So I peel, like I just get a peel, I peel an orange, make sure you take the pith off so it doesn't um, affect the flavour of the wine. And I put the, I stud the cloves through the peel so that then you're not getting cloves in your mouth when you're drinking it. They stay in the orange peel. Mm-hmm. Um and then, yeah, and then whatever, if you want to add, um, if you want it just like that, so it's not too boozy, that's great. Or you can add a bit of spiced rum. Or as I said, like the other night, I, I put in some Mr. Black espresso. Uh, it's a, it's a liqueur and they use um, a cold drip coffee and I use the single origin one and it's damn good in a, weirdly in a mulled wine, the, um, the flavor of the coffee kind of just gives it a bit of like slow cook depth. Yeah, yeah, like like Highly a little bit recommend. of bitterness, like to sort of counteract all the spices yeah. and stuff as yeah. well. And then Incredible. a bit of brown sugar in there as well, or whatever sugar you have. It's kind of that thing. You just want it a little bit sweet. Yeah, this is sweet, next level. This is like this is going to be improving my mulled wine. Yeah, game. you can also chuck apple juice in as well. I find that really goes well. And again, um, cider. If you want to do a mulled cider, cinnamon, cloves, sardines. Basically, what you want to do for mulled cider, think about the ingredients you put into apple pie. So take the pastry side away from it. Obviously, please don't put flour in it um, or butter. I mean, you could. It'd be delicious. But, yeah, you take all those toasty flavours, so cinnamon, brown sugar, you know, nutmeg, um, you know, star anise, clove, all those kind of warm, toasty ingredients and some brown sugar and chuck them 
in a pot maybe with, again, some spiced rum would be good or, whatever, you know, cognac even, some brandy, and you do a mulled cider and it is just to die for. Love it. Oh, right. I think people are going to be decked out now. There's going to be people doing mulled <laughs> wine everywhere. This is amazing. Um, Sarah, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. I think people are going to have a lot of tips to go off of this and a lot of interesting information. Before we finish, are you interested in doing just a quick fire round of questions? Yes. Yes. Right. I hate these. I'm terrible. My brain is. <laughs> they're they're pretty easy. <laughs> they're pretty simple. All right. Let's start. Question one. Uh, one chef that you'd love to meet that haven't yet? Alex Atala. Um, he has Dom Restaurant in Brazil. Fantastic. Yeah, amazing. Uh, best local produce item in Tasmania, if you had to pick one? Uh, hakurai. Hakurai, Japanese turnips are actually a type of radish. They're amazing. Oh, and the mushrooms. I can't pick one. <laughs> <laughs> you can't pick one, do you? I can't. I, I've, I've got about 12 in my head right now. So yeah. stop me. <laughs> uh, do, you, do you have a favourite food city? Japan. Japan. Uh, Tokyo. Uh, best person from MasterChef to have a drink with? Uh, Chris, Chris, definitely. Oh, I'm going to have to call him out and have a drink then. Oh, yeah, uh, he's great. Uh, what, red wine and anchovies. That was our really? jam. Lovely. Favourite favorite off-screen meal? Favourite, sorry? Off-screen meal from MasterChef. Did anyone sort of blow your mind with, with anything off-screen? Actually, yeah. Um, I went around to Jess and Sarah's and Poe and Sarah had a, um, a congee off and I was just happy because I got to eat like amazing congee and I love congee so much. So it was just we sat around, Jess fried up some spam, which I had never had before. I'd, I'd had spam. I had spam in, in Hawaii once, but I'd never had like fried spam with, yeah, with like congee. I didn't done. hate it. It's actually, it was actually awesome. Yeah, that's yeah, incredible. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have a scarf suggestion for winter? Oh, so I have way too many scarf suggestions. <laughs> um, I I love a big scarf on the head. Is that what you said, scarf? Yeah, I did, yeah. <laughs> Great. I, <laughs> I just, just thought I was that. maybe hearing just what I wanted to hear. Yeah. Um, you know I love a head scarf, but I like... I like using bigger scarves in um, winter. I get a, I kind of get a longer scarf, and I, um, I put it kind of in a bunch at the front of my head, and then I do it like a full turban wrap, wrap it around. Yeah. Is there any brand that you really prefer? Um, no, look, I get vintage scarves. I love vintage clothing because it's you know it's recycling. So. Mm -hmm. Check out, and nobody ever digs through the scarf basket in op shops. They're all a little bit too, I think people are just a bit too embarrassed to rummage. I say go for it, rummage. They're always cheap and amazing. And I found, I found Hermes scarves in there. I found Chanel scarves in there, you know, $3 for a Chanel Damn. scarf. Can't go wrong. That's Do a it. hot tip. You got to hustle, guys. You got to hustle. You got to get in there. Get on your hands <laughs> and knees. There's, they're always in like a, one of those old trunks like yeah. underneath the, the oh, dress rack or something. That's the you classic. Get down yeah. there. Very get down vintage. there getting it. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, who do you think is the funniest MasterChef? Oh, my goodness. So many. There's so many, so many hilarious people. Um, who's always making me laugh? Oh, Chris is pretty funny. Um, Poe is hilarious. Jesse is cute, adorable, funny. Um, <laughs> We're just going to run through every master chef and how much you love Every single person. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah. Actually, Michelle from my season is just the funniest person I've ever met. She is an absolute crack up. So, yeah, could be well, anyone. I don't, I don't even blame you for that answer. Every single MasterChef I've ever talked to has been lovely, just lovely people. Oh. Um, do, you have, do you have a cider suggestion, just a favourite cider? Uh, Pagan. I really love Pagan. They actually have a they, – they've got so many amazing ciders. Their cherry is really delicious because it's kind of like dark and dry and, and um, really deep. But they have a cremated Pagan at the moment. I, I don't know if you can get it on the mainland. It might just be from um, their salad door. But it's actually their smoke-tainted um, cherries from the bushfire. Oh, dry cherry smoky and otherwise um willie smith which you can get on the mainland um the mainland listen to me I'm <laughs> tasmanian right now um willie smith's original their um their original uh cider is really good even in the cans brilliant stuff right, perfect yeah. for winter not too um, sweet and very last question uh proudest achievement to date um my goodness Ex- on MasterChef or just in general? Just in general. Probably getting the doors open on my restaurant. Um, I I did everything from – I built the place from the ground up. I learned how to paint walls. I learned, <laughs> I learned how yeah. to paint bathrooms. I learned how to kind of wow, do all wait. the DIY stuff. And I'm using it at the moment at home with all the DIY we're doing. Yeah, um, you're very resourceful. Uh, yeah, I am. And I'm really pretty proud of that. And that's a very Tasmanian thing as well. We like being able to work with our hands and, and just fix stuff when it needs fixing because you never know how long it'll take to get a tradesman out to your house when you live yeah. in the middle of the bush. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, um, I'm pretty proud of that. I'm proud of the fact that I can roll up my sleeves and, and do the dirty work. <laughs> yeah, and so you should be. That's, that sounds like you put in a ton of work. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that about me because I do like to frock up. But I think you, I think as women we can be both and we can be everything. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Sarah, this has been an incredible chat. I've, I've really, really enjoyed this today. Um, before we finish up, uh, how can people reach you online? If people want to know more about you, they want to talk to you, anything like that, how yep. can they reach you? I'm on Instagram as Sarah Claire Cooks at Sarah Claire Cooks, and um, that's probably the best way to reach me because I'm, you know, I'm a bit of a scroller, so I will, <laughs> I'll be on there at least. A bit of a lurker. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and then again on on Facebook as well, Sarah Claire. Um, yeah, um, you'll find me online, no doubt. Mm-hmm. And and on- anything in the works for the near future? Are people going to be excited by any of your cooking coming up? Yeah, well, I'm I'm going to be doing a collaboration with the Dusty Mermaid. Uh, she has this amazing vintage store in Jeeveston, and we're going to do some dinners. So there's a commercial kitchen next door, and we're possibly going to do some um, kind of intimate dinners, groups of ten, and they will be using kind of uh, local native ingredients. We'll be doing that eventually. Stay tuned. Fantastic. When well, it if stops you're from- raining. If you're listening from Tasmania, get on that right now. Message ahead and make sure you book in. Yeah, and and uh, once the borders open, everybody needs to come and visit. Come down to Tassie. Come check it out. Uh, now yeah. we can't travel overseas. <laughs> it's really important to kind of get our local economies booming again. And um, we're pretty. It's pretty awesome down here. Even even with all the rain at the moment, it's uh, very picturesque. 
100%. I love Tasmania when I visited, but I'm going to have to come back again for that cider. Definitely do. Come say hi. We'll have a cider together. Will do. Thank you very much for, for coming on the show, Sarah. It's been amazing. Thanks for having me, Harry. It was so lovely talking to you.